We've had some wonderful exhortations in these songs already. Exhortations that, if we take seriously, will help us to fight the good fight of faith. For our text, we read Hebrews 10.35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. We all know the value of confidence. We know the dangers of being overly confident. We know the hazards of misplaced confidence. We know what it means to have our confidence betrayed. But this morning, let's think about the aspect of what our confidence in God is worth. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. You believe there's a God in heaven. Let no one shake you in that faith. You believe God hears and answers prayer. Let no skeptic ever cause you to doubt that. You proved already, many of you have, most of you have, I think, that God answers prayer for you. He answers your prayer. Don't let anyone make you doubt that he will do it again. If God is God, and if he never changes, then we can expect that his attitudes toward us will not change. He is worthy of our confidence. He's never failed us yet. And this exhortation the writer of Hebrews gives us is to cast not away our confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. It's worth a lot for you to believe there is a God, that He answers prayer, that He doesn't change. It's worth a lot for you to know that God had a son named Jesus. You say, oh, how elementary. Could we forget that? No, in our heads we wouldn't forget that Jesus was a son of God. But lest we forget this by having lapses of memory or losing our confidence from time to time, let's just remember that God loved us enough to send His Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Are you going to let the devil cause you to lapse back into that you've already been saved from? If the drowning man at the seacoast here so close to Portland, if a man just beyond the safety of the shallow surf gets in trouble, sees himself in danger, he must swim for the point of safety. How will he get there if he turns and swims away from the coast? His friends may yell to him, come this way, this way. But no, he goes the opposite way. Safety is at the shoreline. But he swims the other way. How foolish can you get? He might be disoriented. Maybe he can't see. Maybe he can't hear. Maybe he's addled for the moment or something and can't think. But whatever caused his predicament, it's a fatal mistake for him to go the opposite direction from safety. It's a fatal mistake, spiritually speaking, for us to go the opposite direction from the port of safety. 
If the Lord has promised, He would never forsake us. Is it anything to our credit if we forsake the Lord? He will never forget us. He never forgets. Is it reasonable that we would even for a lapse of any short time forget the Lord? Forget His promises? No. Our safety is in remembering what the Lord has said. We must retain that confidence that God is God, that He hears and answers prayer, that He works miracles, that He works for us, that His Son died for us that we might live. You remember, you who were saved this morning, the joys you felt when you came to know the Lord Jesus, when you were forgiven. At that point of surrender and true repentance, you, you found God's mercy relevant. You found it available. You found it yours. Don't cast away the confidence God gave you then. You had faith then to believe that Jesus saves me now. And that faith that you had at that moment, even though it was a gift of God, God gave it to you. Nevertheless, you exercised that faith and you believed and you were transformed by the power of God. You were made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Don't forget it. Don't cast away that confidence. That point there of real submission and, and active faith. The saving faith. God gave it to you and helped you to believe it. And you as a drowning man grasping for a straw found yourself in a place of safety because you came the right way. He said, come unto me. And you came to Jesus. He said, cast your burdens upon me. He cares for me. You heard that, you knew that, so the burden of sin, you left it there, didn't you? Remember that. Don't cast away your confidence by going back to take up again that the Lord's already taken from you. If we are saved by the power of God, we're kept by the power of God. If we're saved by faith, we're kept by faith. If we must believe God to get in, in contact with God, we must believe Him to stay in contact with God. You remember the evil habits dropped off your life. Don't you remember? You've heard people testify that might have had more problems than you have. And you stand amazed in how they were delivered from the power of drink, the power of dope, the power of jealousy, the power of envy. Many, many things have bound people. And you've heard it explained in a lot of detail, if you've been here very many times, to have heard people say in their testimonies, we'll have here tonight, for instance, on Sunday nights we have testimonies all the time. People testifying and saying they have been delivered from the powers of hell. Evils have gone from them by the power of God. Don't forget it. Don't cast away your confidence and say, oh, it doesn't matter. You may be tempted to, but you must remember the Lord prayed for you. He prayed for us in the 17th chapter of St. John, a long intercessory prayer. Prayed for those who are saved, who are not of the world, that we might be sanctified, made all of one. He promised before He left this earth, if I go away, I'll send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. Don't forget that. Remember, you have a lot of reason to be confident that the Lord will do what He said He'll do. He's never failed yet. He does sanctify the believer. He did send the Comforter. He does yet the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, we read in Second Timothy that I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He's able to keep that that I've committed unto Him against that day. That's the word of a 
triumphant believer. The words of Paul the Apostle saying that I know in whom I have believed. In what God started out to do for me, he will do. Paul had that confidence. Even enough to believe that if he forsook all of his benefits of the past, he would gain a great victory just by believing the gospel. He did. A highly educated man, a man who's above his elders in many privileges in his government, in his religion. He enjoyed many advantages, but he counted those nothing, counted them as worthless that he might win Christ. He dropped all of that when he saw the vision that Jesus was the Son of God. He heard, was, heard the voice of God, heard Jesus saying, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He arose from the ground, blinded, but went into Damascus, and there was told what he must do, great things he must suffer. There he found the light. His eyesight returned. After that, he was no longer Saul of Tarsus, persecuting Christians. Now he was Paul the Apostle, writing this letter I referred to a moment ago. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That sounds like the, the voice of a triumphant one, one who's victorious, who has confidence. Yes, he did, and so can you. But we're so prone to be lacking here. It's so easy for us to get to the point where we say, well, I, I don't know what I can do next. I've tried everything. I've come this far, and it's been a struggle, and I've had hard things and many things. Some people say, what happens to me ought not to happen to a dog. Are you comparing yourself with a dog? Is what happens to a dog all that important? Do you think an animal has the same claim on God's protection and help that you do? No. You needn't compare yourself with an animal. You are a peculiar treasure unto God. God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So if something happens to you, just remember, I compare what happens to me with God's Word that tells me what will happen and the reasons for it and the advantages I can gain from whatever happens. It isn't a matter of how, what happens to us as much as it is how we react to what happens. Even the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He had some problems, but the pressure of affliction brought him around to where he could see the reality and the blessedness of really keeping in line with God. So have you. So have I. Any of us have learned some lessons the hard way. We haven't always been apt at every chance we had to learn what God would teach us. Some have passed us by so quickly, but we thank God for those that we have been able to, to benefit by, to get hold of and claim as ours. Then that being the case, let's thank God for the fact that we have come this far by faith and we believe God will finish what he started out to do for us. You can't let your faith be measured or, or kept or lost according to circumstances. Circumstances are not always conducive to faith. In fact, most of the time, natural circumstances are not conducive to faith. Because there's a warfare going on between the natural and the spiritual. Between the carnal and the spiritual. The, the earth, earthy and the spiritual. And that warfare is that we might be obsessed and possessed by the earthy. That we might be concerned about the mundane things. For instance, we can be so possessed with making a living that we have no time for God. I knew a, of a man here in Portland, Oregon years ago. 
One of the ladies who worked for him told me this story many years ago. She said he was a good businessman. He would come to work every morning with a white shirt on and a tie, and he was all dressed up for business, had a prosperous business, but he had a problem of drink. He was so busy, so busy. And she asked him to come to church with her. He said, I have no time at all. My whole time belongs to this business. I must give every weekend to it as well as, the, as my waking hours during the week. And he made a success of it all right, but for that vice of drink. After a while, months went by, went into years. Soon he was addicted to alcohol. And before the day was over, he would be sitting like an imbecile sitting at his desk or sitting somewhere in the office uh, under the influence of liquor until he would be a pitiful sight to behold, stoned, drunk before the day was over. Didn't have time to consider his spiritual welfare, but had enough time to nibble at the bottle until he was possessed by it. It overcame him. He was ruined by it. You might not be inclined to drink alcoholic beverages, but there might be something else you nibble at. There might be something else that you almost would give anything to obtain, even at the peril of your own spiritual welfare. Watch out. Don't you cast away your confidence. Remember, you're saved by the power of God. You won't be kept by your own efforts. Remember, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's own Son. You won't be able to redeem your life if you spend it the wrong way. You can't buy it back again. You only live it once. We walk this way but once, and we can't retract all those steps, so it behooves us then to go right in the first place. And remember, we should have confidence in God, but you'd have to do something to have that. If your heart condemns you not, then have we confidence in God. We have faith in God if we don't have condemnation. So how do we get rid of condemnation? We do that by God's own gift, His own provision too. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. So if you feel condemned for your sin, don't feel all alone. All humanity is going that way. Oh, I know it's popular now to downgrade that. And don't preach about sin. Don't preach about judgment. Don't tell people they're wrong. I read the newspaper this week of a man who says the world needs a new reformation. I was blessed by one of those books his company mailed out, 250,000 of them. Blessed, put that in quotes, please. But nevertheless, he says, we don't need people to be preached at because of their sin, nor let them be uh, called, called sinners. That just beats them down. No, no, we must let them exercise their ego to come up front where they can really come on out and be what they ought to be by their own strength. If you're talking about natural man's uh, strength, that's it. If you're talking about by intellect and by his own doing, talking about feeling good, being adjusted in business and being adjusted in the neighborhood, that may be all right. But there's a crying need somewhere, somehow. Underneath all of that, there's a crying need for every soul to know his God. There's the crux of the whole matter. You must have confidence in God enough to call him your father. You must be able to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You must be able to call him your father, not just as a ceremony or as a prayer you've learned from the Bible. It must be because you know you've been adopted into his family. You have been born again. You have come to know him and you have the confidence in him that he'll keep you also. 
This isn't just one experience for one man. It's for the whosoever will. It isn't a peculiar uh, um, ecstasy of some kind that a few people have and others miss. No. To know the Lord is the joy of living. To come into your right relationship with God makes you at peace with yourself and at peace with God. And that does a lot toward adjusting your attitudes toward other people, too. You're not nearly so concerned about the failures of other people if you aren't failing yourself. But if you have failures of your own, then you can see a lot of things wrong with other people. But if you'll just ask God, let you see them through the eyes, His eyes, and let, look, look on them with, with mercy as God does, you can see a lot of, a different picture. But we want to be sure that we do let the Lord help us to retain our confidence in God. Remember the man named Abraham? We all know him. We call him the father of the faithful. He was moved by faith to leave his country, called of God to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and to come into a country that God would show him. Some place he had not really been told of yet. Didn't know where it was. But he must leave Ur of the Chaldees and move. What did he do? He arose and went. He did as God said. That proves that he had faith. God spoke to him. He heard the voice of God. He recognized it. He responded to the voice of God and acted upon it just as you did when you were saved. If God called you from sin, you arose, you acted upon the knowledge you had, upon God's call, and you moved a little bit by faith. He brought you one step at a time until you knew the Lord. Abraham did that and was called the father of the faithful. What about Abraham? Later on, it was said of him that he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, it wasn't just changing countries. It wasn't going on a trip the man did. No, he was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, so long ago, had the same quest in his breast that you have in yours. That same yearning and that same desire to really know God and to know you're right with God and to enjoy the fellowship of God day by day. And he did. On one occasion, his nephew, Lot, was in the Sodom and Gomorrah area there and sat in the gate of the city of Sodom. The city was overcome with evil, so bad that God said it couldn't last any longer. Abraham prayed and prayed that God might spare the city, but they couldn't even find ten righteous people in the city. God said he would spare that city if ten righteous could be found there. But they weren't to be found. So God purposed to send destruction upon Sodom and did. And Lot was barely saved just because of the faithfulness of Abraham that prayed for him. He prayed for him and Lot and his family escaped. What did Abraham have in mind all this time? It wasn't adding riches to riches. He'd given Lot the benefit of choosing which land he would take and he'd taken the highlands. But Lot had, had chosen the well-watered plains of Jordan. And there's where he met his, his dangerous position. There's where he met the place where he could not have confidence in God. He escaped as by fire. His wife escaping, being told not to look back, could not keep from it, finally did it, and became a pillar of salt. But Abraham believed God. What a wonderful heritage that was. Noah. Noah's famous for shipbuilding. Noah built an ark. He built an ark. He was warned of God, of a flood, having never seen the rain, having not seen a flood in his whole lifetime, but yet he built an ark to the saving of his household. How? By his own strength and by his own labor, but God showed him how to build it. Do you believe that? I believe you do. 
that God showed Noah how to build the ark. He built it, and it was finished. And when the ark was finished, God sent the animals into the ark. In order they came. Just as God ordered the animals to act as God made them, he caused them that time to change their natural habitat and to go up the gangplank and to go into the ark and to find there a place of refuge. And when that was all secured and all was ready, then God told Noah to go inside the ark, and Noah and his family went inside, and God closed the door. Noah. Noah. Do you think Noah would have... What would happen to Noah if along the road he'd lost his confidence? As he built that ark, labored away for many, many, many years, preaching also at the same time. He was called a preacher of righteousness. But as he labored and as he preached, if one day he just said, too much for me, I can't take it. It seems to be there's no end to this. And the more we go, the less we see. The scoffers, the unbelievers, all the crowd around here, nobody believes it. They laughed me to scorn, he might have said. But nevertheless, he kept on building. He didn't lose his confidence in God. God had spoken and he understood it and he kept on believing. Yes, God spared Noah. Yes, God spared Moses when he was a baby. God talked to Moses' parents. Moses was marked for death as all the young boy babies were in the whole nation. It was all a matter of time until he would be be killed because the edict of the Pharaoh had been that they would be, be slaughtered. What did Moses' parents do? They saw he was a, a goodly child. I'm sure every mother looks on the child with admiration and thanksgiving that the child is normal and the child is beautiful. And even if the child isn't too beautiful to other people, in the mother's or dad's eyes, it's a, it's a good thing to behold. But they saw something more than that. They could see something with an eye of faith that the natural man or woman would not see just because they had a baby. Yes, by faith, they hid him until he was, could be hid no longer. Then what did they do? They brought that little infant boy and put him in a little basket they made out of bulrushes and left him in a little ark on the bosom of that river. Moses was a goodly child, all right, but God had his hand on Moses. What if along the line, before they got to the river... What if they'd said, this can't be. I just can't do what God said do. I can't carry on through with all this. I'll have to stop somewhere along the line. I can't bring myself to it. God had spoken. And they were ready to go on and do what God said do. They put the child in that little ark. And Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe herself. You know the story. And she had her maidens bring the child from the from the ark. And the ark and the child to her. And she adopted the child as her own and raised the child, even sent for Moses' own mother to be the nursemaid, and she had the privilege to, to nurse him and to take care of him, him as he was as growing up. All of this because they did not lose their confidence in God. If we endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You can start out, but you have to finish. Brother Robbins, one of our preachers of bygone days, used to stand this pulpit, and he'd say, if you finish the course, everyone will know you've started. So finishing the course is the, is the climax that we want to look for. Finishing the course with faith. Some people give up and quit. But oh, think about the opposites of that. You've been tempted to yourself. No one here who has been tempted to, to doubt or tempted to despair. Of course, we're human and we, are, we have temptation. But God wants us to overcome temptation the right way. By claiming our inheritance, by retaining our confidence, 
by pleading for God's help and God's mercy, He'll help us. In times of fear, we can say, Oh God, take away the fear. In times of pain, we can say, Oh God, heal me of my pain. In times of heartbreak, we can say, God, you know what causes all this. I can't remedy it, but oh God, mend my aching heart. And God's Spirit will be there unless you throw away your confidence. If you say, Oh, the kids have gone so haywire. The job is gone. The neighborhood is gone. My wife has left me. Oh, a lot of things may happen. Your house might burn down. Who knows what might happen to whom? It happens to one here and one there of different kinds, of course. But if we keep our faith in God, we'll have the victory. But what about the one who quits? The object of quit is to keep at it, just to continue. How about that one who, who says, I, I, I'm going to draw back. I, I just can't stand the pressure. The one that draws back, he should remember God would command him to go ahead, to push ahead, to go ahead. Don't, don't draw back, because they that draw back, draw back to perdition. So you have no choice. But we are not of them who draw back to perdition, but of them who believe to the saving of the soul. How about that one who surrenders? The man should not surrender. He should fight. It is a good fight of faith, Paul said. Way at the end of his life, after having her, uh, suffered shipwreck, persecution, beatings with a whip, and all of these things, imprisonments, false accusation by false brothers, and all of that was his portion. All those experiences he had, he'd been stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. What did he say? None of these things move me. I know in whom I have believed. I believe he'll keep me. I've committed my end to the Lord, and I'm committed, I believe what I've committed to him, he will keep against that day. So up at the end of his life, what did he say? I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. He had not given in. Don't give in, but push on. Look ahead and believe that the Lord will help you. There's a plenty of temptation for people to surrender. Paul asked of some people one time, you did run well, who did hinder you? Some are running quite well, who did hinder you? Then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, the wrong association. That one who doubts or fears. If you associate with them, listen to their stories, they'll plant fear in your heart. But if you'll pray for them and say, I'm, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to charge God foolishly. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to stand upon the promises of God. And I don't want you peddling your fears and your doubts and, and your criticism and all that to me. If you listen to all of that, you'll be influenced by it. That's what Paul meant when he told the Galatians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. One rotten apple spreads the rot through the whole box of apples. But if you'll be sure you keep the right company, keep a watch at the door of your mouth, keep a watch at the door of your eyes, look at the right thing, listen to the right thing, hear the right thing, believe God all times, and if you do, you'll have no reason to surrender your confidence nor throw it away or cast it down. No, you'll realize it's a, ve a very valuable heritage, a very valuable thing you have because you can believe God. Many people can't. When they come to the place, I'd like to believe God, but they can't. Their faith is gone. They quit a long time ago. They didn't pray. They didn't do the right thing. They haven't behaved themselves. So after a while, they'd like to pray and get their prayers through, but no, no answer comes. Why? Because they lost their chance to pray. They didn't pray in time. But this morning, you have a chance to pray, if you will. Cast not away your confidence, which hath a great recompense of reward. Just remember, God will finish what he started. If you don't quit, 
God won't. But if you quit, God can't help it. If you doubt it, you're, you're paralyzed because we are led by the Spirit of God. By faith, we're kept under the blood. By faith, we fight this good fight of faith. And if we don't believe it, we're paralyzed. But if we'll believe God, all things are possible to them that believe. You believe that? If you have any doubts at all, or even if you don't, why don't you come and pray with us this morning? Come and help those pray who are praying around the altar. Get down before God and, and resist the, the sleepiness or drowsiness that might be apparent in your own life or someone else's. Help to pray, pray away the cobwebs and to say, God, help me to realize that I have a reason for my confidence, and that is that God has said it, I believe it, and I'll stand upon it. Will you? We invite you to come and pray with us. We'll sing number 264. The altar's open.